In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. I had to send another condolence card this week with another message of hope. What we can see and want and have to have cannot go with us when we die. It is that which we do not see that will remain with us in eternity. We're told that our loved ones are better off where they are, and I know that. We're the ones left behind. We're the ones who need the reassurances that Paul gives us in the verses above. That inwardly we are being renewed day by day, building an eternal glory for ourselves. Alleluia. I know it's Lent and the Alleluia's are omitted for six weeks, but really, today I need an Alleluia. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney, and I have another wonderful show for you this afternoon, tinged with some sadness, but I'll let some craft laughter creep in. I'll be sharing how we dealt with high school subjects at our Wildflower Academy, and I'll touch on the quiet and peaceful weekend I had on my silent retreat. My guest is Mike Donnelly from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He's going to talk to us about his career in law. And you can share a slice of my life this week at the homestead and away. So grab your tea and take a comfy seat for an hour while I regale you between slopes. So do you ever dunk your biscuit? And I should clarify biscuit. In English, a biscuit is a cookie. And I've just dunked my biscuit in my tea and I left it in just a little bit too long. And yes, you've guessed it. I now have bits of bicky floating around in my tea. Soggy biscuits. My mother once told my children off for dunking their biscuits in her house. She actually wrapped Paris on the head and she'll never forget it. I was surprised because my mom loves to dunk her biscuits. Perhaps she'd forgotten the competitions my brother and I used to have to see how long we could keep one submerged before losing it. So as I said in my opening, I sent out condolence cards, actually three condolence cards this week. I thought my heart was going to break. My cousin Jane died. So I had to write her mother, her brother, and her husband and children. Really, that's two deaths in eight days. Two too many. My cousin battled cancer for 17 years. No one would have ever known it. She was always more concerned with ministering to others. Such a cheerful, positive, loving soul. We grew up in London together as children. Her mum and my mum were our Auntie Kays. Yep, 
The sisters-in-law shared the first name. I visited and stayed with her whenever I went home. We had a wonderful telephone ministry for the last five years. She told me once she didn't want to wallow in her suffering. Bone cancer is so painful. So she actively sought to reach out and touch others, strangers, young and old. She took them into her home, befriended the friendless, her way of dealing with empty nest and other losses. A few years ago, we were having one of our long phone conversations and she said, I've tried to live my life to the glory of the Lord. Now I think the time has come for me to turn my attention to dying to the glory of the Lord. But before losing her battle, she fought valiantly. She and her husband traveled all over England and Europe to visit friends and family. She planned parties, anniversaries, and the recent marriage of their daughter this past December. She oversaw the redecoration of their home, added a bathroom and a conservatory. They attended prayer groups and Bible studies. In short, they packed a lifetime into a few short years, a whirlwind of activity that would have worn the strongest of us out, but not Jane. Empowered by the strength of God, her mere presence was a witness to her faith in his enduring power to heal to comfort and to conquer pain she'll be missed by all who were touched by her these last weeks brought her immediate family together around her to walk sorry to talk to remember to love to exchange their fears and to say their goodbyes gently lovingly and unhurriedly her husband shared these moments with more than 450 people and i have to say it was characteristic because he is a true brit in the army with a real stiff upper lip and will not give in to emotion but anyway the 450 people who daily read his blog um on his um, visiting with with, um, Jane, his wife, and um, I felt as though I was also there beside her every moment of the way. Unfortunately, my visit to England will not coincide with her funeral next week, hence the cards to our family. So rest in peace, dear cousin and friend. I'll miss your voice. I'll miss you. And um, what's the weather been doing? Well, as usual for this time of year in Texas, it's been intermittent. Sunny and cold, cloudy and warm. Sunny and warm, cloudy and cold, but the nights are getting longer and the mornings are lighter. But that will end on Sunday for a month or so at least. The mornings will be dark again, but we will have the extra daylight in the evening. Can you believe it's already time for the clocks to spring forward? My retreat that I mentioned, um, that I went to last weekend, in fact, it seemed like such a long week because that retreat was just so wonderful was at the Jesuit Montserrat campus on Lake Dallas and although it was only for two days I've gotten used to having these short bursts of internal reflection they renew me as much as my preferred five-day retreats it's rather like a power nap at first when one is used to taking two or three hours 20 minutes is a laugh hardly worth lying down but I've now found power naps to be quite effective so short retreat was great just getting away from cell phones and computers was wonderful I had no idea I was so connected to the outside world with its immediacy. The weather was glorious and cold. I'd taken a heavy coat and boots so I could spend all my free hours outside. My favourite place was on the dock several yards out into the lake. One morning I was sitting there reading when I saw the water rippling like crazy. There was no wind so I looked up and realised a powerboat had drawn up alongside me and two men were casting their nets. Well, not their nets, their fishing lines. I scanned the lake and couldn't help but notice the vast expanse of emptiness and wondered why they'd chosen to anchor themselves right next to me. After bumping into the dock several times and physically jolting me, I think they must have noticed I was there. My coat was white. They may have mistaken me for a low-lying cloud. Anyway, I heard the motor rev up and they sped off, leaving me in peace once again. The retreat 
each year is led by a nun from the community of the Holy Spirit in New York City. And they also have a farm in Melrose in upstate New York. And I'm told that you can go online and buy their maple syrup, which is absolutely delicious. Haven't done that yet. We discovered that the nuns at the convent had voted this year to discard their habits, their medieval habits, as they call them. Now, I'm not talking about habits like drinking coffee in the morning or running your fingers through your hair. I mean, the uniform, the clothing worn habitually, in this case, a long dress with a scapular wimple and veil. I can't say as I blame them, I don't have to wear one, but we were concerned for their safety in the streets of Harlem, where their new convent in the city is. The theme for the retreat this year was apropos, wasting time with God. I did a lot of that. Thank you, my lovely Texan, for enabling me to get away. There is also a very special person who attends this retreat each year, and he just retired after 35 years at his job. He was able to keep the silence, but needs to be gently reminded sometimes, and I have commented in previous years, that Sister has come close to losing her salvation several times because of him. He can be very annoying with his repetitive questions, but we're reminded that we are to become like children. God and his sense of humor, we just have to laugh, don't we? In recognition, anyway, of his faithful and long service, the company from which he retired awarded him with an iPhone. And true to form, he was like a child with a new toy. Poor sister had to endure being recorded throughout all her meditations. Luckily, they were short and sweet. Oh, joy. Well, it's time to finish up my chapter entitled Public School or, no, Private School or Public Domain. And I'm amazed at how many parents send their children to high school instead of taking these years to really mold them into responsible and righteous young people. The association newsletter had outlined countless ways to keep children out of traditional schools and out of the home, too. Co-ops, organized sports, tutoring clubs, dances and competitions, to name but a few. And I'd always had some structured activities in my home school, but not anywhere near to the extent that this newsletter was suggesting other families had. We had family parties where Ian premiered his movies. We swam. Not a lot of dancing was done. So reading the pages before me of classes offered, I knew what had happened to the mothers I had discovered who allowed their children to determine whether they wanted to be homeschooled or not. One family in particular stands out. There were 10 children, probably more now. And during the year, she had several in public school while she kept several at home. And I wondered how she managed with all the pressure of public school meetings, PTA, on top of her own lesson plans, grading and teaching. Well, now I think I know. She pays someone else to teach the children she has at home. The closest I came to that was when I realized I couldn't adequately teach advanced chemistry and physics. Not that I was unable to go through the textbook and teach while I was learning it myself, but I felt my children would be more effectively served by taking a class once a week with someone who knew more about these subjects than I did. I still read the material with them every day, and together we have learned and studied difficult and challenging concepts. Never once have I left my child to study alone, but let me rephrase that. They may study alone, but I make sure I also know all the material so that I can answer or find answers to any questions they may pose, well, at least most of the time. I could probably get a good scholarship at Texas A&M myself. To this end, I accepted that my children were not going to be taught by experts in every subject and that we would have to modify and maybe even make some sacrifices as far as subjects we were able to cover at Wildflower Academy. Most mothers can teach their children how to speak, read, write and count, and I raised my hand and proved proficient on that score. If our children can read well, then the world is laid at their feet. 
The classes, competitions, sports and other social activities being offered by my homeschool association were not what I was in search of to augment my life or my family's. It wasn't a vision for my homeschool. Now that we were beyond the elementary school age, I could not betray my nine-year culture and draw closer and closer to public and private schools just because peer pressure from new association members and leaders extolled the virtues of higher academia through various umbrella schools and co-ops in order to gain admittance to prestigious colleges. Some of my friends abandoned ship completely and sent their children to high school. Those who stayed with me adopted distinctly traditional school activities to please their children and make their home conform more to a real school, as if we'd been merely playing at it. Probably the Christian leaders of my association are as oblivious to the changes that have crept in over the years as I was to my growing flexibility. I only noticed because I was transitioning my son into a four-year college and losing my prototype. And time to go on a break, and I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 Central on Toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest in heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny.
Well, I'm back. My guest this week is Mike Donnelly, a homeschooling father of seven with experience as an army officer, entrepreneur, and company executive. Mike is also a staff attorney for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And today we're going to talk about his career, how he got started and what he did to prepare for his legal life. So welcome back, Mike. Hi, Vivian. Hello. And um, first off, can you hear me? Everything I can hear quiet. you just yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. Everything just went really quiet. All right, well, first off, um, welcome back. And for those listeners of mine who have not um, heard you speak before, just tell us a little bit about yourself, how many children you have, etc., etc. Oh, sure. Well, uh, we've been blessed with seven children. Our youngest was born just about three months ago, and uh, they range in age from three months to 13 years. Um, uh, we've been homeschooling them from the beginning, and uh, I'm, of course, as you mentioned, staff attorney and director for international relations at HSLDA, and serve uh, probably close to ten or twelve thousand of our member families in about eleven states, and uh, it's a real blessing. All right, and tell us some of the things that you do as a homeschooling dad to support your wife, because obviously, obviously, she's a very, very busy lady with seven children. Well, I have to admit, it's probably not enough. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, well, I'm uh, sure whatever you do is wonderful because I'm sure you support her superbly. Well, I, I, I try to. I certainly try to. Um, you know, I uh, – let's see. What do I do? Um, I, we talk about, you know, goals and objectives. Um, I try to help keep things in perspective with the boys. We have four older boys, so we started with four boys, and then we have two daughters, and then our youngest is a, is a little boy. Um, and my wife growing up, of course, she only had a younger sister, so she had no, no idea what boys were like. All right. And so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I try to help keep that in perspective, and those yeah. who have boys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and uh, I also... Uh, work with the older boys to try to keep them on task. You know, I'll correct tests. Um, I'm looking at their work. I'm asking them, okay, guys, what'd you get done today? We have a system whereby every child is responsible for checking in on their subjects. We have a list of all subjects for each kid. And they, uh, after they've completed their subject, they have to check in and write down the time they completed it. And so I get to look at kind of the day in review and I can ask questions about it. And so I do that to make sure that they know that I'm paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I do, which I think this is probably the maybe the biggest thing that I can do for my wife to support her, is um, well, making sure I guess making sure that she's got the tools that she needs. I mean, as as leaders, as you know, as men, we're called to be leaders, of course, and you know, of course, women can be leaders too. But um, God, you know, gives men the uh, leadership role in the family, and so as a leader, it's very important that we make sure that those people who are, we are leading, uh, and I'm talking about servant leadership here, have the tools and resources they need to be able to do their job. So I make sure that she has the tools and resources she needs, whether it's a copier or a printer or a computer or paper, pencils. Um, you know, I try to make sure that she is not dealing with the distraction and the obstacles um, of those kinds of things to make sure that she has those things. So I also try to make sure that her schedule is protected um, to be able to do the things she needs to do. So, for example, I will do I do all the grocery shopping in the house. Right. So That's great. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some women are probably thinking I wouldn't dare send my husband out for grocery shopping. Well, I do not like grocery shopping, and I always go with my husband to keep him company, but I think I'm just tagging along going down these aisles. I'm really not enjoying myself, but I do it because it's our, you know, we spend a little bit of time together, like 45 minutes in the grocery store together, and that's our kind of little together time we used to be, and it's become a habit. But it's not my favorite thing to do. He could do it on his own, so great for you. I'm, I'm so happy that you do that for your wife. Well, I do. It's uh, And, you know, and I, you know, it's just, I'm very goal-oriented, and so you give me a list, and I'm in and out. I don't get distracted, and she says, okay. you know, it's always hard for her to, as she walks down the aisle, she's looking at this and looking at yeah. that, and it's just her personality. So I'm in and out of there, and uh, she doesn't have to deal with that. Um, the other thing that I also I do is I, I bring my boys with me to work. Um, at least once a week or twice a week, I'm bringing one or two of the boys with me. And what that does is it helps relieve some of the burden on her from a management perspective, um, although when I take the older children away, sometimes that you know they they can be very helpful mm-hmm. um so we have to i have to balance that but it also you know uh, is good because these boys need to learn what it means to be men and yeah. you know that's my responsibility when it comes to boys anyway and so that's one of the things that i'm doing as well i take them with me i take them with me on trips and um you know to the office and they do their homeschool work at the office so that allows me a connecting point with them uh, but also uh, I'll you know take some of the burden off of her for having to oversee at least one or two of the children on any given day. So I guess that's kind of uh, you know sort of what I would say some of the things that I do to to help out around the house and make sure that she's oh you know I'll just say, there's one more thing um, I probably should have said this first but this is very important um, I make sure that I'm home when she needs to go out on her. Um, mom's nights out and homeschool meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so she's a leader of our local support group, and so I make sure that I'm around to uh, make sure that she's got time to go to those things because it's very important for homeschool moms to connect with one another. And so I make it a priority in my schedule to be home. I, mean, I make it a priority in my schedule to be home every night for dinner. Um, and, you know, so that's helpful. I know a lot of men aren't able to do that, and schedules can be difficult. But uh, but especially on those nights, I make sure that that's protected and that she gets to those events because those are important. Okay, well, that sounds absolutely incredible. And I know that I have four children, and when one of them used to go out, um, you know, with, with dad, it made so much different to the, um, you know, sort of what was going on. in just, just one child down made a lot of difference in my little little group of children. So I can understand, you know, if you take a couple of the boys to the office with you, that makes a huge difference in, in the dynamics of, of the family. So I think that's a really good one. All right, I'm going to get to your career now because um, we've talked a lot of that was that was great what you do for your for your wife. Um, I want to ask you that when you were a child, um, what was your dream? What did you dream of doing um, with your life as your career? Uh, I remember very distinctly when I was I think I was eight years old. I was uh, driving with my uncles and my father in, in a car somewhere. I don't remember where we were driving, but I remember thinking to myself, I want to go to the Air Force Academy, become an astronaut. <laughs> so that was, when I was a kid, that was, you know, but a lot of boys, you know, have the same dream. Yeah. Um, and, and as I grew older, it morphed. And it changed into, well, maybe not an astronaut, but, you know, maybe an astronaut, but at first I got to 
first I think I'm really interested in astronomy, and so I said, well, I want to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> and, uh, and then something happened. Um, I didn't get a very good grade one semester in physics in high school, and I realized, hmm, if I'm going to be an astrophysicist, I probably need to be good in math and physics, and I really wasn't that great in either of those subjects. Yeah. So I had to do a little soul-searching there. <laughs> All right, so your dream, yeah, my son's dream was to be an astronaut, and he ended up being a filmmaker, but I thought he'd set his goals pretty high because he was determined that he, was, he, he could be an engineer and do all of that stuff and, and become an astronaut. But then um, he decided that he would want to be a filmmaker, but he's very artistic and he's very, very skilled in his science and math, which helps him a lot with the editing that he does with, with what he does. But, um, yeah, I think most, most boys either want to do that or work with animals or a train driver or something like that. So you didn't get a good grade, and so um, you had to um, I took the hint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I had to change. So, yeah. well, from there I went on to university where I eventually ended up getting a degree in economics uh -huh. and uh, East, East Asian Studies and International Relations, kind of a triple major. Uh, and I went into the military. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, m things kind of happened to me. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that I kind of planned everything out. Um, and so, you know, I, I got involved with the military when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. And my mom gave me permission to go to basic training when I was, I just turned 17. I was and joined the National Guard. And so that kind of gave me a taste of the military. And, and the reason I did that is, this maybe not a great reason, but I needed a summer job because I needed to earn some money so I could uh, go on a trip to France with our French club in high school. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's why I joined the military. Right. And, uh, you know, not a great, maybe, I mean, I was patriotic, of course, and I had a bunch of friends who were doing it, too. That probably helped contribute to my uh, desire. But, yeah, I got a taste of the military, and it was fun and interesting. You know, I mean, what, I mean, for a young man to shoot and hike and camp and, you know, do that kind of stuff, it was great. And so it gave me the opportunity to experience that. And a couple years later, I ended up taking an ROTC scholarship uh, and became was commissioned then as an armor officer in the regular army um and eventually i ended up becoming a cavalry officer deployed to desert shield desert storm fought in those two conflicts and came back finished up my tour and went to law school mm -hmm. so what did you get uh did the uh, military pay for your um initial college experience they contribute yeah for two yeah they paid two years tuition two uh, years tuition. you know yeah two, and at that time they were cutting back on the scholarship program. I understand right now the scholarship program is actually quite generous, but yeah. I, I don't know the details, but I understand it's pretty generous. Yeah, yeah. And so when you came back from um, fighting in, in Desert Storm, you went on to law school. So what you had done beforehand, your economics degree kind of set you up and allowed you to be able to go to law school. How many years was law school? Uh, law school is three years here in America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I was, I had to make a decision getting out of the army and I was, a uh, you know, I was older, I was 27. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I had to decide, do I want to go in the workforce or do I want to go to graduate school? Mm -hmm. And I eventually decided that I would go ahead and go to graduate school. And then of course the decision is, what do you do? You go to, you know, for me, I wasn't going to go and get a PhD. So mm -hmm. I had to look at something more practical. I was like, okay, I can get an MBA or I can go and get a JD. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had the fancy that I would go and get a JD and become an international business transactions attorney. So that was my initial vision uh, in going to 
law school coming out of, of the military. I was not a Christian at this point, and I yeah. was really thinking a lot about money. Yeah. All right. Well, my guest this week is Mike Donnelly, a homeschooling father of seven with experience as an army officer. And he's a staff attorney for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And we've been talking about he got started and what he had to do to prepare for his legal life. So um, we are going to go on a short break now and we'll be back after this. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Get ready for The Athlete Within You with Mike Margolis on Toginet, Monday nights at 9, 8 Central, 6 Pacific. Do you know about the game within the game? You've heard about sports psychology, mental toughness, mental training, and preparation. Well, athletes from all over the country have been seeking out Mike Margolis for close to 35 years for his expertise in helping them live up to their potential. He's worked with athletes from professional football to elite-level figure skating and every sport in between. They've all sought his counsel and unique teaching style to learn about the game within the game or what sports psychology and mental training can do to help them become the athlete they want to be. Mike works one-on-one with athletes. He trains them, puts on seminars, and conducts workshops for coaches, athletes, and businesses. For more on Mike, his book, and the show, check out his website, theathletewithinyou.com. Then, come join us as we discover The Athlete Within You with Mike Margolis. Monday nights at 9, 8 Central, 6 Pacific on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Mike, just before you went on break, you said that all this was happening. I mean, you were like 27. It was before you became a Christian, so money was your your main concern. So would you have made um, different choices um, had you started out from high school um, as a Christian or into college as a Christian or not? I bet I, I probably would have, although, you know, this kind of, you know, backward looking is, is, is I don't think it's very helpful. No. Um, you know, the, you know, God... You know, God in His sovereignty knows what's going on with us, and um, you know He uses all things for our own, for our good. So, um, you know, I know that He was He was at work, um, and that He was going to use all these experiences. I mean, I look back and I see how He's used them for mm-hmm. to prepare mm-hmm. me for you know what I'm doing now. 
Well, yes, um, let's face but, it. Somebody has to have those high, high, high-paying jobs, and you know, why not a Christian? I mean, perhaps they well, why not? It, for know, sure, just as you know, well, better than others. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why not. Because um, the, that particular job that I aspired to was completely in, incompatible with, you know, uh, my responsibility as a father and a husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't quite realize that at that time, mm-hmm. and so I was, you know, I, I, I had that idea. I mean, again, I wasn't a Christian, but I had the idea, you know. I was make some money and that's what it's all about and eventually during law school i came to to uh, accept christ and that really had a significant impact on how i viewed my career and what was motivating me and so um, money really took a complete back seat i you know i took to heart matthew 6 um 34 i think 35 you know seek first the kingdom of god and all these things mm-hmm. shall be given unto you and i put god in charge of my career and uh, it took a while, even after becoming a Christian, I struggled with it. I was on a track for uh, really becoming a professional and going to work for a large law firm. And I, I, had to, I realized that that just was incompatible with what God was calling me to be as a father and husband. First-year associates uh, and then who go on to become partner at large law firms doing the kind of work that I was interested in doing, work 70 to 80 hours a week, travel mm-hmm. extensively, make tons of money, make, you know, $150,000, $250,000 a year. But, you know, what does it profit a man to gain the world if he loses his soul mm-hmm. and his, his children's souls and his marriage? So I, you know, I retooled and and reevaluated that and realized I had to go in a different direction. Yeah, and that's one of my questions. Um, so, your career that you're now in, but you, um, the the job that you now have, is uh, obviously family friendly because you say you try to be home um, in the evenings for dinner, which is not always easy for, for fathers. But you you work on that, and so um, working for a, a Christian company has its um, advantages because family is very important, right? It, it is, and HSLDA is a homeschooling uh, organization. We are homeschoolers. All of the attorneys are homeschooling fathers or were homeschooled and in the process of becoming homeschooling fathers. Um, and most, almost all of the people who work at HSLDA um, are the same, either homeschoolers, homeschooled uh, parents, etc., or people who are very connected to the movement. So, so you know, th- there's... There is very much that kind of support uh, to being uh, fathers, husbands, uh, homeschooling dads, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, support of being family friendly. But I, but before I came to HSLDA, I was in a in a company that was not that way, mm-hmm. and uh, that's one of the reasons I ended up leaving that company and how um, I found, you know, the, the current position I have at HSLDA. Well, it's so sad today to see some of those um, families, the parents, that just seem to be so caught up in, in jobs that they, they just can't get out of them because they just cannot manage without the money that those jobs are bringing in because they've set themselves up in a way that, uh, you know, makes it impossible for them to pull away. And it's, it's really sad to see that, that um, you know, sort of that, that grip that the money and the career has. But I, I suppose there are also families that have to have a job and um, just just have to do what they have to do to, to make ends meet. So, well, I would I would actually challenge the idea that it's impossible. I don't think anything's impossible, and nothing is impossible with God. Um, if if a, if a family 
has two income earners and, and they want to become a homeschooling family, they can do it. Uh, it may take a period of time. It may take even a year or two for them to be able to make the changes that they need to make to deal with one income, to shed a job, move to a smaller house, move to a less expensive house. I mean, these are big decisions, but if a parent, if a family wants to do that, they can absolutely do it. There's there's nothing that's impossible if they put it in God's hands and faithfully, you know, follow his leading in making this, those kinds of decisions. They can definitely do it. I know people who have done it, people who are in the process of doing it, and I did it myself. So mm-hmm. it can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice would you give a um, college-bound um, student or college-age student to um, p- pursue a career in your particular field, in the in the law field, um, uh, bearing in mind that maybe some some kids are, might be really interested in law, but they might not academically be capable of you know sort of doing some of the um, topics, the subjects that that are required. So, um, what are related jobs that they can maybe look to if they don't want to actually be a lawyer but want to be involved in law and legal stuff? Well, the first thing I would say is that, um, you know, I would encourage any parents or young people who are listening that they need to put their career in God's hands, and they need to listen to what he is telling them to do with their lives. And he will. If they'll listen, he will tell them. And if the law is an area, uh, they need to follow, um, you know, the steps that are laid up, you know, that God lays out before them to go down that path. And there are lots of different paths to getting involved in the law, or becoming a lawyer. Um, you don't have to become a lawyer to do legal work. You can be a paralegal. Um, and, and you can support, you can be a, a support person to a lawyer. And there are paralegal certification programs that you can go to to help prepare you to do that. You can get an associate's degree. Uh, you can get a bachelor's degree. Uh, that can prepare you for that kind of work. You don't have to do that. You can do on-the-job training. There's a number of different ways you can be prepared to become a paralegal in the legal field. Um, if, if somebody feels that they're becoming, being called to be a lawyer, almost all the time you need to have a bachelor's degree. There, uh, there are a couple of law schools, and one in particular that I'm aware of called Oak Brook College of Law, that does not require a bachelor's degree, although it does require two years of undergraduate credit. So you can become a lawyer without going to a four-year college and getting a four-year degree. You can go to Oak Brook Law School, which is a distance learning law school, and is um, located or that prepares you to uh, be admitted in the state of California. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some limitations to that, so you need to, you know, if you go down that path, you need to understand there are some limitations to practicing in other states. But graduates of Oak Brook College of Law can practice in California. Uh, they can also practice at, you know, on all federal uh, levels. And uh, there is um, a move afoot to try to get uh, more recognition from other state bar associations. Uh, but generally, most people who are going to become a lawyer are going to go to a, an ABA-recognized uh, law school, which requires a four-year degree, um, and then uh, go to a, an on-site um, three-year full-time legal program. There are some part-time legal programs in some law schools, so people who are working can certainly be getting their law degree at night, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is certainly possible. They can examine that as well. So when you went to law school, you had to do four years there? I went to Boston Boston University, and it's a full-time program, and you have to have a four-year undergraduate degree which I also got from Boston University, um, and, and and so it's a full-time program. Yeah. 
Um, and did you work part time? I mean, how did you do that? How did you fund that? Law school? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, were you it's working? Expensive. <laughs> no, no, you can't. Oh. <laughs> you're not. You're not supposed to work during law school unless you, if you're going to unless you go to one of these part time programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which there are some, but you know, if you're going to one of these a top law school, you're not allowed to work during the school year, technically speaking. I actually ended up having a part-time job. Um, During my first year of law school, I actually started a a company and kind of ran that during my first and second year of law school, which helped me pay for some of the expenses, but not very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And law school is very expensive, and I ended up graduating with a boatload of debt, which I would which I would encourage anyone going down this path to avoid, like, the plague. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very, I mean, I was very blessed in that I was able to get rid of that debt early. But Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, if God's calling you to become a lawyer and, you know, realize that you've got to look at that debt load, uh, and so you've got to balance what your career goals may be. I mean, if you're going to go be a public interest lawyer or a prosecutor or something of that nature, you're not going to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So be careful about the amount of debt that you take on, you you really don't want to take on much debt, if any at all, to fund uh, either, I would argue, your college education for undergraduate or a a law school degree. I agree with that. Um, Were you you married while you were doing that? Yes, my wife and I got married right uh, as I was in the Army, early in the Army years, and so she was working. So that's yeah. how we actually supported. So she's supported. Yeah, yeah. She was she was paying the bills, uh, working uh, at a at a job in a college, and uh, and then you know after I graduated and I started a company and we kind of got our feet under us. She quit that and we had our first child, and that was the last time she uh, worked full time for an income. So, Mike, um, we're coming close to the end of our time. I have a question for you. What did you learn? What have you learned about yourself in, in this career that you have chosen? What have I learned about myself in, in my legal career? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, um, I've learned that I'm a very passionate advocate uh, and that, you know, being uh, a lawyer at HSLDA was exactly the right place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just as a testament to the fact that God will lead you to where he wants you to be if you'll let him. Uh, that doesn't mean it'll always be easy or comfortable, but if you give him the reins, uh, he will put you where he wants you to be, and that is a great thing. I love what I do at HSLDA. I love serving homeschoolers and advocating for them and protecting and defending them, um, as, as do all of my colleagues. We, we, we are passionate about our work. We uh, love the homeschooling movement, and uh, so... It's been a tremendous experience and blessing for me, both getting here because through the process, God has really worked on my character. Um, and, you know, of course, the older I get, the more I realize how much work I need on my character mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another thing that I think young people need to realize is, you know, we are in a journey. It is a process, and we need to trust the Lord for the result. He will not um, he will not quit the work that he's done until it's complete, and that's a lifelong process. So we need to be patient with ourselves and patient with the Lord and faithful. Thank you, Mike. And here's the music, and we're going on a break. Mike, thank you so much. It's obvious that you are passionate about your job, and without you, I don't know where we would be. So you have a great weekend, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, Vivian. God bless. Bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. Now this Saturday morning we're going to count them down one more time from number 40 all the way to number 1 with the official classic hits countdown, the American Rock and Roll Countdown. We'll count down the biggest hits of the 70s with interviews and artist information, news, weather, sports, you name it, we'll have it this Saturday morning, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I was talking to Mike Donnelly of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association about his career as a lawyer and also about how he helps his wife and um, their seven children out um, as they homeschool. Um, And I also want to do a little plug here. There's a film that um, parentalrights.org has put out called The Child, America's Battle for the Next Generation. And if you go to parentalrights.org and click on resources and then click on the child there's a picture with the documentary um you will go to the doc well it'll give you a link to go find out where you can go and um, watch the documentary and um it's very interesting because i think i think we kind of think as parents that we have um a say so on what our children um do but really um it's amazing how um, much the government is is stepping in and taking charge. So America's battle for the next generation is the topic for this film called The Child. And um, just go on to um, parentalrights.org and um, take a look. Um, this week, uh, I worked with uh, my blue-eyed cowboy for two and a half days. Not that I don't always work with him because we're at home together all the time, but this was a paying job um, run by a company called Thriving Minds, which is an artistic group endeavoring to put quality arts back in the schools and after-school programs. It's really funny having a homeschooler work in, in, and looking at public schools, but it was interesting. Um, I had to drive to four different schools in the city to observe arts in action, and I put 160 five miles on my car in two days. I travelled down roads I'd only ever heard of. Mostly they were numbers followed by a directional. Some of them had names and 
find numbers to add to my confusion, like 635 is also LBJ, 75 is Central, 30 is Tom Landry or some cowboy name. And I also saw parts of the city of Dallas I didn't know existed. I thought I'd be visiting schools in the inner city, you know, battling narrow streets in sketchy areas. But I was quite surprised that these high schools were actually out in wide open spaces near poorer neighborhoods with small strip malls, which were a little scary. I stopped at one of them because I had an hour before I had to go and observe a class. I thought I'd run in and get some water, but when I got to the door, it was all barred and pad- it wasn't actually padlocks, but there were padlocks hanging off the bars. And um, some guy said to me, "Hey, ma'am, you looking for something?" And I just turned and fled back to my car. And I looked around, and he was following me. So I got in my car and drove about a mile down the road. And um, I've never been so glad to see the golden arches looming above a stand of blossoming trees, apparently out in the middle of nowhere. And I bought myself a large water at McDonald's and sat in my car and finished my paperwork. And my husband was an ace at figuring out where I had to be each day. He was my very own personal GPS system. Thanks, hubby. Um, My guest last week was um, Debbie Harbison, and she twisted my arm before agreeing to talk to me. She had me promise to go to her blog, Homeschooling, Freedom and Fun for Your Family, and answer four questions that she had posted there. And so, of course, once I went to the blog, there was no getting away. I had to read the other homeschoolers' responses to her four questions. So... Undoubtedly, mine are original and amusing, and I've decided to share them with you right now. So just in case you don't have time to pop over to Debbie's blog and stalk her and then forget to read them yourself, um, here are the answers to um, her four questions. But you really do need to go on the website because you I can't show you my family photograph that I got posted up there. So her first question was, how long have you been homeschooling? Sounds like an opener for my show. Um, And um, I began homeschooling a long time ago, and my two sons' magnet school examiners failed to recognize the potential energy and brilliancy of my unique and truly gifted oldest daughter by refusing her a place in the same establishment as her brother's. My options were to keep her on at the private Montessori school, which was nurturing her excellence while simultaneously draining our meager financial resources, send her to the local public school requiring two sets of PTAs, principles, and politics, or... Or what? I didn't know until a well-groomed stranger crossed my path who homeschooled her children with great success while apparently maintaining her designer wardrobe, manicured nails, expensive haircut, shaved legs and Bruno Marley's. None of the Birkenstock Earth Mother persona for this stylish lady. We became fast friends while she mentored and slowly nudged me in the direction of homeschooling not only my two girls, but also my two boys. Nineteen years later, we're still alive to tell the tale and I'm still available as a homeschool education expert for my youngest daughter who's finishing up her associate's degree at the local college and every now and again needs help with study skills, proofreading of essays and general moral support when the academics interfere with her absurdly busy social life and her job as a star barista in a busy coffee shop. So the short answer to the question is, I've been homeschooling for 19 years and counting. And so Debbie next asks, one of the main benefits of homeschooling is the freedom and flexibility allows. Give us a few examples of how this freedom and flexibility benefited your family. I agree, homeschooling is supposed to allow lots of freedom and flexibility, and it would have had I been a free and flexible person. 
that was a process for me. It wasn't until I summoned the courage to ditch the curriculum that everything fell into place and we happily read our way through the remaining 16 years of homeschooling. We became Balletto Mains with all the children enrolled at the local studio. We were able to attend private lessons in the middle of the day to get the boys caught up until they decided theatre was more macho. Well, one of the boys did. The oldest continued with ballet because he saw a potential opportunity. Lots of beautiful girls and only one of him. He was in great demand. Also, during the day when other children their age were cooped up in public school basements, commonly known as classrooms, the local community theatre became their playground. They learned to design and build sets, paint and sew, hunt for props, pull fly rails, track lighting plots, and how to record sound effects. This is where we spent hours as a family enriching our curriculum and giving back to the community. In the evenings, they learned how to sing, dance and act, measure for costumes and stage manage. But most importantly, they experienced firsthand how to deal with divas, directors and choreographers, their peers and adults, and become well-known in the community without anybody guessing at their homeschoolingness. Then Debbie wondered if I could give a few examples of some especially fun times I had as a result of homeschooling. Well, I think every child, not only the homeschoolers, will agree that the best thing, well, one of the best things about life of any sort, are the vacations. In theory, we could go away any time we wanted to, but surprisingly, in practice, we invariably went at the same time as everyone else because we were caught up in extracurricular activities that were dominated by the public school system and its mandatory holiday schedule. In the summer, though, we did go away in September because the first show of the season didn't close until the second weekend. Consequently, the beaches, pool and restaurants were relatively quiet and the streets were strollable. Another special time for us was the month of December, which we would take off. This would ensure that we'd get on with the really important Christmas preparations with no interruptions. We had time for Nutcracker, which featured in December for 10 years. And we cooked and made crafts and shopped early in the morning while the sales clerks were still rubbing the sleep out of their eyes. Yep, that was good and still is being able to go to the store while everyone else is either holed up at school or trapped at the office. There are no lines, no crowds, no waiting for the McNinney family. Her final question was a funny story. Now, we have fun times, but she also wanted a funny homeschooling story. So here it is. As you know, I have a homeschooling... No, I don't. As you know, I have a zookeeper for a son, but before he was awarded his science degree from A&M, thus acquiring him the unrivaled privilege of shoving Okapi excrement at dawn each morning and hauling hay for the rest of the day, he volunteered at the local animal shelter where he hosed dog excrement from the indoor and outdoor runs. There is a pattern here if you look closely. This son would bring home abandoned babies for us to bottle feed. Raccoons, squirrels, ducklings, possum, and the occasional kitten or puppy. These abandoned and wild babies were not supposed to be handled unless absolutely necessary, but my children never got the hang of this. The raccoons were irresistible. So were the squirrels. They were petted, talked to, loved, and named. They swam in the pool and romped with the dog. Wild? As a family, all this nurturing became a valuable lesson in responsibility. The little ones would blindly feed at two-hour increments all day and night, and when they opened their eyes, whoever was the first in line of vision became mum. When it's time to release them at about eight to ten weeks, they would either go to a professional rehab place to learn how to survive in the wild, mostly the raccoons, or be released out in the country. 
But once we made the mistake of letting a couple of the tamest, almost domesticated squirrels loose in our back 40. And now we're paying for it. We play host to a new family of the critters each year in our chimney. No matter what we do to block up the entrances, they always squirrelly find their way home. Rather like salmon swimming upstream to the place of their birth. They ruin our wood trim, our roof, our house, but each spring we hear the babies. First, they romp in the chimney, exploring their nursery. As they get older, we watch them cautiously emerge from the stack and run across the roof before returning to mum and safety. At this stage, they're nearly ready to flee the nest, so we give them a little encouragement. By blocking up the escape holes in the chimney stack, we limit their exit to an outdoor vent in the eaves where we can watch the activity. From the vent, we run a two-by-four to the grass and watch for several days as they hesitantly walk the plank nudged by mum. When we're certain everyone is out, we remove the wood and listen for a day before battening down the hatch. Accidentally leaving a runt inside can foul up the air in the house for months. The following year, we repeat the process. No matter how diligent we've been with the mesh and the wire, they gain access every time. As a zookeeper with friends in high places, our son is now threatening to bring home a baby elephant to bottle feed around the clock. Charming as that sounds, can you imagine elephants in our chimney? So still on my zoo, a young Geronook, a deer-like animal with very long necks, had an accident at the zoo last week and had to be put down. This is always a sad moment for the zookeepers who grow attached to their not-quite-furry pets who are their charges. I tell you, Simon comes home and mimics one of the Akapi getting irritated when there are keepers or another Akapi in its space. They roll their heads like an exaggerated teenage eye roll, and Simon has it down to a T. The zookeepers obviously love their animals. That's why they work with them. Lots of the keepers were present at the euthanization. They were able to stroke the fur of the stricken animal and shed some tears, I'm sure. And on Wednesday, it was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, time to give up something as a form of penance or out of discipline or prepared to prepare us for Holy Week. We were told at the service, ashes thou wert and to ashes thou shalt return. And we walked out of church into the fish and chip restaurant with black ash crosses on our foreheads. Well, I've managed to rattle on for another whole hour and it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. I'm off to watch my daughter's show tonight with all my children, quite a family outing, followed by a port tasting. Our port is finally ready today. Then spring break begins and I think I may be able to take a little breather, although the attic cleaner is on the to-do list. The clocks spring forward early Sunday morning, so that means the evenings are longer. I love this time of year. For this week, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at ToggyNet Radio, my guest Mike Donnelly and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina and St. John's. And if you can, listen to Sandy Fowler's Heartfelt Holidays on Monday at 12 noon. Have a great weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toggy.